please be advised that I am not an expert on any of the topics I talk about on the show. Please look into things for yourself and do your own skeptical inquiry. I also sometimes have trouble watching my language, so listener discretion is advised. Hello, and thank you for joining me for episode 29 of Living Through Extinction. I do not have a skeptical segment this week, so I would like to use this minute to recommend a skepticism podcast. One I have followed for years is The Reality Check. This all-Canadian, all-skepticism podcast is hosted by members of the Ottawa Skeptics, and it comes out every week. If you are exploring skepticism and how to conduct skeptical inquiries, maybe give The Reality Check a shot. You will find it wherever you get your podcasts. Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, and Nestle have once again been named our top plastic polluters. While they appear to be making claims about working to reduce wasteful packaging, progress is yet to be observed. Coca-Cola claims we will see a significant reduction from them by 2030. Is that really fast enough? Can they at least show partial progress within a couple of years? I'm not completely sure how I feel about all this yet. Last episode, I shared Smithsonian's list of ocean stories from 2020. This episode, I have another list to share from SmithsonianMagazine.com. This one is from their Earth Optimism team. Can you believe the Smithsonian has an Earth Optimism team? I like it. It's so easy to focus on the bad, but we have to focus on the good too now and then, right? Anyway, here are some good news conservation stories that you should check out. Again, this list was put together by the Smithsonian Magazine's Earth Optimism team. It's even fun to say. First off, If cute animals make you happy, this one's perfect. A teeny tiny adorable new lemur has been discovered, and even scientists say it's almost too cute to handle. Now named the Rose Dwarf Lemur, these little furballs are merely 17 centimeters long, that's 6.7 inches, with a 28 centimeter tail. Many lemur species are high on the endangered list, so it's always a good news story when new species are discovered. Some good news on the environment front in Canada. A newly protected area in northern Quebec was announced. This is the beginning of Canada's promise to protect 30% of its land and water by 2030, with commitments of 25% by 2025. Apparently, this is how our country is meeting pledge goals. 71 world leaders signed the Leaders Pledge for Nature, where they all work towards protecting 30% of the land and water in their nations. Another good news story came out of a not-so-good news story. A black birder was being harassed by a white woman, and he posted the interaction online. You have to remember this one. She appears to be violent with her dog at one point, and the viewer finds themselves concerned for both the man and the dog. His posting that video and it going viral was the inspiration for Black Birders Week. A group of black scientists, nature lovers, and friends came together to organize this event and hopefully spread conservation diversity. Their goals are stated as, to counter the narrative that the outdoors are not a place black people should be, to educate the birding and broader outdoor loving community about the challenges black birders specifically face. This incident we all witnessed on social media was not a one-time thing. This was just the time it was caught on video. 
Blackbirders regularly encounter hatred and racism when in the field. And then finally, to encourage increased diversity in birding and conservation, hopefully shaping a more diverse future for birding, conservation, and the natural sciences. These are all very worthy objectives. I think my favorite good news stories are the comebacks. After at least 400 years away, the Tasmanian devils are once again on the Australian mainland. A chameleon last seen 100 years ago was rediscovered in Madagascar. The critically endangered smoky mouse was thought to be lost in the bushfires last year. But a group has been found alive in New South Wales National Park. And finally, a wild population of New Guinea's singing dogs were found. They were believed to be extinct in the wild for about 50 years. For even more good news stories, or to go into a bit more detail on these ones, go to smithsonianmag.com. Today I'm going to talk about smoking, not the health issues, we all know that shit. What I'm going to talk about are the environmental factors that some of you may not have thought of. We have growing and harvesting emissions, curing emissions, production emissions, transport emissions. We have deforestation for farming and all sorts of plastic wrappers. And then there's those nasty filters. Ugh. Let's start with how prevalent they are in our society. Eight billion cigarettes are bought every single day. And three quarters of smokers report disposing their butts outside, many via tossing out a car window. Too many people think that this is okay because butts are biodegradable. They really aren't in the way that people believe. Those filters are made from cellulose acetate, which is a plastic that is considered to be biodegradable. But it only actually degrades under severe conditions, and even then, it will take at least nine months. Then when breakdown does finally happen, it creates smaller pieces of waste, which more easily dilute into the soil and water. When a fish comes along and eats a physical butt, it remains inside that fish's stomach, reducing its ability to consume its necessary calories. Ingestion by fish is not uncommon because the butts tend to float around and look like food to them. Tossed butts do not just go away, and they make up 38% of roadway litter. They are also the most common litter item in retail areas, storm drains, loading docks, construction sites, and recreation areas. Also, they have been known to cause forest fires, so stop it! This pollution of solid materials as a result of smoking is not limited to the cigarette butts, of course. In 2016, Ocean Conservancy data stated that 1,030,640 butts were removed from U.S. beaches and waterways. It made up about 24% of the total debris collected. That's obviously a lot. But in one year, 12,089 lighters, 58,672 cigar tips, and 33,865 tobacco packages or wrappers were also collected. This is just what's collected. So much never is. Of course, the physical presence of cigarette butts is only one part of their problem. When they get wet, they release nicotine, salts, ammonia, sulfuric acid, pesticide residue, heavy metals, nitrate compounds, and probably a lot more. And when they break down, they create microplastics. The heavy metal contamination in particular, by the way, has been shown to be harmful to wildlife. The chemicals have been shown to inhibit plant growth and can remain in the water for as long as 10 years. 
Studies done on the effects of roadside waste on the soil showed patterns of hydrocarbon levels that are similar to those of cigarette butts. Of course, some of those hydrocarbons are carcinogenic. Your butts are having an effect out there. We have to keep in mind that the total environmental effect of something takes into account how something is made and where it comes from as well. The growing and cultivation of tobacco adds to deforestation and environmental degradation problems. It is mainly grown in rainforest areas and once dense forests have been completely removed for its purpose. There are also emissions from farm machinery. The curing process releases noxious chemicals into the atmosphere. After curing, the tobacco goes to processing plants to be made into the packaged products we see on the shelves, or we used to. I don't think they're allowed to display them anymore. Whatever. In manufacturing, there is a huge paper usage. The average unit apparently needs four miles of paper for one hour of rolling and packaging. It is estimated that one tree is destroyed for every 300 smokes made. The process also generates harmful chemical waste and often uses aldicarb, which gets into waterways. This is a substance that is highly toxic to people, plants, and animals. Chemicals from these cigarette plants are monitored by the Environmental Protection Agency's Toxic Release Inventory Database. And in 2015, they reported that tobacco facilities were reasonable for releasing or otherwise disposing of 1,312,796 pounds of toxic chemicals. Of course, once it's produced and packaged and ready to go, there are transport emissions. And as, as I mentioned earlier, most of our tobacco is coming from the Amazon, so it is very far away. Then it finally reaches the store and you're able to buy a pack and smoke a cigarette. What about the act of smoking itself? Not on your body. This isn't about you. This is about the environment. Smoking a cigarette releases toxic air pollutants into the atmosphere. 2.6 billion kilograms of carbon dioxide and 5.2 billion kilograms of methane are put out into the air by smokers every year. This consists of thousands of metric tons of carcinogens, toxicants, and greenhouse gases, including formaldehyde. There are places trying to use legislation to combat the cigarette pollution issue. As of July 2017 in the United States, 312 municipalities had banned smoking on beaches and 1,497 banned it in parks. Many of the cigarette companies claim to have been exploring biodegradable filters since the 70s, but it has yet to lead to any of them making use of them. They all continue to use cellulose acetate today. So far this has all been based around paper rolled smoking. We have new environmental problems today from new smoking technology. Today we have something called e-cigarettes, which are largely made of plastic. These gadgets fall under both electronic and hazardous waste when not properly disposed of. Now batteries involved with your smoking habit. And when they first came out, they didn't even have replaceable pods. So the entire thing was just trashed after being used up. More than 10 million now use e-cigarettes. A popular brand is Juul, and apparently hundreds of Juul pods can often be found in high school parking lots. There has also been a huge increase in the number being found on beach cleanups. There was one point I came across that I don't quite understand. Maybe someone out there can enlighten me. Apparently these nicotine pods should be rinsed before being thrown in the garbage. Doesn't that just mean the contents will go into the waterways faster? One would rinse it in their sink and the rinse product would go down the drain. How is that any better than just tossing it without rinsing it? I'm, I'm sure there's a good reason. I just didn't find it. So feel free to let me know. It seems to me that the best solution would be to have some way to trade in empty cartridges, but the suppliers would have to get on board for that.
unless they were regulated to have to accept them and properly dispose of them, I don't know. I focus on environmental issues for the show, but when the topic also has a human rights issue, I feel like it would be negligent to not at least mention it. The workers on tobacco farms commonly suffer from something called green leaf sickness or green tobacco sickness. It's a type of nicotine poisoning by absorption through the skin. When working in the rain or dew, their clothes become saturated from the tobacco and the longer they're in these clothes, the more is absorbed into their system. While it can go away within a couple of days, the symptoms can still be severe enough to require emergency medical care. Tobacco appears to be causing problems at every step. When it's grown, harvested, cured, transported, used, and tossed. From the street where it's tossed, it goes down the street drain to the rivers, beaches, and oceans. It's polluting our soil, our water, and our air. Sorry, smokers. I don't think quitting is just about you anymore. CRISPR! I could do an entire episode on CRISPR. It could be used to keep mosquitoes from carrying diseases. It's been tested in dogs, mice, and plants. Its potential to help with all genetic diseases someday is very real. And it's even been used, okay, get this, it's even been used to encode data and store movies in bacterial DNA. CRISPR stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. New stories about CRISPR always get me excited, but some of the latest tests are actually giving me hope. CRISPR is a type of genetic scissors. It's an enzyme used to cut DNA and edit genomes as desired. Now, I've been following CRISPR for a while now, but have not done any deep dives and am not able to communicate in a scientific vernacular. But, very basically, RNA is programmed to match exactly the spot where the enzyme is to land, and once it's in the correct location, the enzyme makes a snip. Something tested in mice has shown some positive results and is giving hope to many. CRISPR has been successfully used to stop cancer cells from reproducing. This is how cancer grows and spreads, right? If you can stop that from happening and remove what's already there, that's a huge step. Again, this is very basic and you should read about it in more detail. But what they are doing is programming the RNA to lead the CRISPR enzyme to the part of the cancer cells responsible for reproduction and snipping it out. The biggest, best, most amazing part of this particular treatment? Zero toxicity. I don't think there's another treatment for cancer that's not in some way toxic to one's body. I've known enough people to go through treatments to know that the treatment itself can be what takes someone out of commission. This could very well become the first cancer cure that does not also cause harm. To me, that's something to smile about. I have no more notes, so I must be done. Thank you for listening, and may your health and sanity continue to be replenished daily in 2021. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro and outro for the show, and thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for their musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me in two weeks for episode 30 of Living Through Extinction. If you enjoyed listening and would like to support the show, the best ways are to subscribe, rate, comment, like, and share. And you can do that under Living Through Extinction on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, or under LTE Pod on Twitter. The show should be under Living Through Extinction on your favorite podcast player. And if it is not, please send me an email at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com, and I will see what I can do about that. There is also a Patreon account under Living Through Extinction with vinyls, masks, pins, and all sorts of stickers. A portion of all contributions go straight to tree planting with the organization One Tree Planted. The higher your level, 
the higher percentage of your contribution goes right to them.